Today's program was brought to you by VisitNapaValley.com, the official page for travel to the Napa Valley, America's legendary wine, food, arts, and wellness capital. For more information, visit www.VisitNapaValley.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 144 of The Morning After. I'm Jesse Kiefer. I am Sarah Kamen. On today's show, Cleveland, Ohio chef and restaurateur Jonathan Sawyer and executive pastry chef of Team Sawyer, Vince Griffith. Later in the show, we will drop The Morning After quiz bomb on Jonathan and Vince. But first, Miss Sari Kamen, Cleveland native, has some some six in the house. I don't even all over my head right now. I have no idea. Don't make me bust out my bone thugs in harmony. There's a lot of East 99. Wait, they were from Cleveland. (laughs) Cleveland is the city that I come from. That's not really why I'm here today, is it? (laughs) No, that's not why. No one. Asked me to do that. <laughs> no one I, ever you know will. What? I will appreciate that <laughs> for the you, rest Jesse. of my days. Um, Sarah, you have some food news for us. And Indeed. yeah, Jonathan and Vince, please, um, you know, give your ad- advice, your opinion, your feelings, your disdain, all of those things. All of those things. Okay, good news. There is a Burger King fragrance <laughs> apparently <laughs> coming out that will make you smell like a whopper. Finally. Uh, this is happening <laughs> and you guessed it, Japan. Burger King Japan <laughs> is rolling out. <laughs> it's called Flame Grilled, you guys. It's Whopper, a scented fragrance. Folks can buy the Eau de Burger for uh, <laughs> five. Hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they say it in Japan. Eau de Burger uh, for 5,000 yen, which I have no idea how much money that is. Uh, it's like $70. Cool. Thanks, chef. Uh, which also <laughs> comes with a bonus Whopper. So in case oh. the fragrance doesn't work, you can smear your Whopper all over yourself. Um, this is... Sounds more fun. <laughs> it does. Sounds more interactive. <laughs> Sounds cheaper. <laughs> so this may or may not be actually ha- happening. It is rumored it is, it is part of a publicity stunt to celebrate Japan's Whopper Day, which just so happens to come April 1st, which we all know is April Fool's Day. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm wondering if like someone gets the Whopper scent and they're like super stoned and they're just going to take a drink of it or something yeah, like that. Like- and there's going to be this big poisoning thing and then Burger King's going to go down. I don't know. I just think it's like joke on that guy whoever was like i'm here for the fragrance and they just like hand him a whopper they're like let me just put this in the juicer for you in the back and they take a picture of him and like social media shame yeah him. <laughs> okay well good. that's exciting so stay, stay it tuned sexy okay um this is this is not as great unfortunately craft has received reports from consumers who have found metal in their mac and cheese so they have had to they have issued a voluntary recall on 242,000 cases of the original flavor of mac and cheese. That's 6.5 million boxes for those of you who didn't just do the math in your head, I did. Um, the reason, according to the press, some boxes have metal in them. Heavy metal or dangerous <laughs> metal? I mean, an evil kind of metal. I think metal. they need to be small, more specific small on this. pieces of metal oh, is actually shards, what it yeah. says. Yikes. Broken That's glass. unfortunate. How do you how, you're a chef. How the hell does metal get in mac and cheese? 
I, it would be a lot cooler if actually it was heavy metal. <laughs> Wait, mac you and just cheese. did a metal dinner. Yes, we did last oh, week. Oh, man. This the fourth is such annual Metal as Fuck dinner in Cleveland. Did you put any metal in the food? We did. We actually, a couple people got uh, pieces of carbon. Nice. Um, yeah. No yeah. recall whatsoever. No recall. Yeah. Instead of a voluntary yeah, recall, a little stainless steel people scrubby voluntarily as well. ate yeah. metal. Great. Yes. Okay. I mean, I once got a staple in my chow mein. Isn't that supposed to be in chow mein? Staples? One of the ingredients? <laughs> I mean, it can happen, but I don't know how it got in that many boxes. Ugh. <laughs> I don't, anyway, really, don't want to know. I don't Could be worse. Could be worse. Let's just mein. say that. I found a, a mysterious <laughs> tooth in one of my uh, Slim Jims when I was a kid. No, you didn't. I swear to you, I did. It, it was me and my neighbor, Bobby Majorski, yeah, and we were eating <laughs> these Slim Jims, and it was a tooth inside of it. You know, wow. you probably could have sued Slim Jim. No, we ate the rest of it. <laughs> you ate the yeah. tooth? You could no, have like been a young millionaire. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I found, Hindsight 2020 on that I one. I found a piece of gum in like salsa at a Mexican restaurant. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Needless to say, I did not wait around for my taco salad. I once had um, a, I guess like a, like a weird cucumber salad from a Thai restaurant and it had uh, red onion rings and within those onion rings was a, uh, a red rubber band. <laughs> <laughs> so it looked like exactly like the red onion. Anyway, <laughs> that's funny. Third you. story. Okay, moving on. No, this one is actually serious. Uh, there's a new Aww. paleo cookbook for kids. So I thought you said it was serious. I it, it is. Uh, wait, wait. Um, that was written by an Australian. I don't know. I guess a chef. And. <laughs> so crazy the cookbook is on hold from being published because officials apparently warn that its recipes could literally kill babies <laughs> now i mean this is crazy you guys have kids i know this this hits close to home um apparently the recipes they're paleo recipes for children including something like a bone broth milk formula yes and officials like a tonkatsu Yes, chef. Yeah. Just like that. The officials warn that the bone broth formula lacks important nutrients and has ridiculous amounts of others, more than 10 times too much vitamin A, which actually babies could overdose on. It could cause hair loss, bone pain, fissures, all sorts of disgusting things. So, yeah, babies could actually die. But um, as parents, would you buy a paleo cookbook for your kids? Like a dangerous one like that? I mean, wouldn't I mean what? That's crazy. Like, yeah. isn't paleo like a like people it's are paleo be good for you because they want to lose weight? Like, why would you give that to children? I thought paleo was about like getting back to our caveman roots. I mean, that's like what they say, but I don't think that's why people really pursue it. But then, how did cavemen survive if they had so much vitamin A? It depends on what caveman you're talking about, right? Are we talking about humanoids, you know, from migrating from Africa, or are we talking about Neanderthals? I mean, they're two totally different, you know, species there. That's as far as I go. On but don't they both have babies? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to me, I would imagine that breast milk is what a baby is supposed to have. And as opposed is that to paleo? Broth? Is that not paleo? I would say it is, but I don't think it's one of the recipes. I mean, you're not like killing an animal for that or anything. I mean, that's coming naturally from a human. Well, right. I mean, but why would you need a bone broth milk formula? I don't think this? you. Yeah, I don't think you would. So would you buy a paleo cookbook for your infant any, child? I don't know if I'd buy any cookbook for an infant child. I mean, I think what worked for us, you know, can work and we can improve on it. You know, I don't necessarily need a book from some random, you know, Australian, uh, Australian guy, guy <laughs> drinking uh, <Right>. Bronboff. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah. I don't think the I think the Brodo craze. I was gonna say, do you, th- do you think the doesn't start, start with selling Brodo in nursery school? I don't. I don't think <laughs> infants are where the Brodo craze starts. So I think maybe we gotta get them to like five years old at least. Okay, walking and talking things. Yeah, yeah. Brodo and graham crackers. Yeah, like that. Oh, those aren't paleo. Whoops. <laughs> I don't. I don't even have the list of paleo in my head yet. You're not there yet. Not there yet. At get all. on my level, Jesse. Let's take I, a break. I have a cookbook I can recommend. <laughs> Hold that thought. Yeah, we'll get that after the break. We're going to take a break here on the morning after. We're going to come back with uh, Jonathan Sawyer and Vince Griffith. program was brought to you by visitnapavalley.com. Welcome to the Napa Valley, North America's legendary wine and food capital, where the art of living well is defined and each season holds a story waiting to be discovered. Life feels slower here, lived at a place where tables are set with care. Fine wine and food are created from the bounty of our own vineyards and gardens, and relationships with friends and family gathered around the table are somehow sweeter. When planning a trip to the Napa Valley, we invite you to visit the destination's official visitor website, visitnapavalley.com, or stop by Napa County's official visitor information center, located in downtown Napa, where our friendly and knowledgeable community ambassadors can assist you in creating your own legendary Napa Valley experiences. The Visitor Information Center is located at 600 Main Street, Napa, and is open from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., seven days a week, 360 days a year. Your invitation to experience the Napa Valley beckons. Take a deep breath, lose yourself in our quiet green and golden hills, renew your body and spirit, taste our legendary wines and cuisine, and experience the people who make this valley like no other in the world. For more information, go to visitnapavalley.com.
This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And we're back. You're listening to The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I am so excited to be in the studio, not only with my lovely co-host, Jesse Kiefer, but, uh, hi. Uh, but also with Chef Jonathan Sawyer from Cleveland. He is the executive chef of Noodle Cat, Trentina, Greenhouse Tavern, and several other side sneaky projects that he is constantly... <laughs> I don't know, fiddling with. <laughs> so excited. And uh, executive pastry chef, Vince Griffith, who was on Forbes' list of 30 under 30 in the food and wine category this past year. Hi, Vince. Welcome. Hi. 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 And congratulations and on congratulations. being under 30. Thank you. Yeah. And congratulations <laughs> on being under 30 still. Um, it's kind of annoying, but we'll let it slide. <laughs> Both of you, <laughs> so accomplished, so young. Ah. <laughs> Um, but seriously, you guys are doing really, really cool things in Cleveland. And yes, I am a little bit biased because I am a Clevelander. Um, but nothing like what you guys are doing was ever happening back in back in the day, in the 80s and 90s and whatnot when I was there. And you have really changed what the restaurant landscape is, I think. Um, Chef, you started it and have brought on amazing people like Vince and other people and you're just you're doing such creative, interesting things with like really you know local seasonal produce there, and um, I think it's really shown a light on what Cleveland has to offer. And things have certainly stepped up, I think, since you've started laying down some foundation there. I think you hit it on the head when you said it's the people. You know, I mean, if you're able to collect, you know, really like-minded, uh, phenomenal, hyper-intelligent, you know, inquisitive people and put them around you, you know, it's. It's only the everyone that benefits. You know, it's the synergy. Yeah, it's been really interesting to kind of like watch your trajectory. Um, Greenhouse Tavern, you know, sort of just blew up the scene when it started there. And like there's definitely a focus on, you know, smelt from Lake Erie and just like local grains. And you have great relationships with, you know, farmers and other producers in that area. And you can really highlight that kind of food. And it's just sort of changed the idea of like what Midwestern food or like that kind of like Rust Belt sensibility can really be when you've elevated the cuisine to that extent. But then Noodle Cat, which is so different, it's, you know, it's, it's noodles and has that kind of like Asian-y flavor and like crazy kimchi pancakes. And then Trentina, obviously Italian. And I don't even know what you guys have been doing lately in your kitchen, like some crazy stuff I've been seeing on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, we're really excited to have uh, a separate kitchen, you know, in the back of Trentina and be able to play around with everything that happens inside of our mind's eye and the conversations we have over the table. And we actually brought some miso and we've been taunting you with it for 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 quite some time now. But I think that when you smell it right when you open it, there's this, you know, sour apple like phenomenalness. So I'd like to cut it open for you if I could. Yeah, let's cut it open. Okay. Absolutely. Is this like a part of the, the there was a switchblade? Is that a Cleveland thing? <laughs> oh, it's actually a, just an assisted open. It's not a full switch. <laughs> oh, God. oh man, I don't even know what I'm talking about. All right. So what is this? A third pan? Is that what we call this? Uh, like, that's a half ninth like A half ninth yeah, pan. Yeah, a 200-ninth oh, smaller. Pan. All right. So so that is uh, Ohio oh, gar- totally garbanzo smells beans. smells like apples. Yeah. Absolutely. And that cakey like uh, farmer fizz. What are, wait, back know, it up. What? Brew. What are you what are you doing over there in Cleveland? What are you playing yeah, with? So is this miso a part of the, the Noodle Cat project or is this like yeah. are you gonna do like Sawyer's miso stuff? You already have your I don't own know. vinegar I mean, thing who, going on. Who who knows? I don't, I don't know what we're gonna do with it. I just think when you have the opportunity to experiment with stuff like this, you just you gotta you gotta take that opportunity. Wow. And you grow from one court to twenty courts to you know, to wherever it goes. But I love, you know, having guys like, you know, Jeremy and Goodman and Vince around because when we, you know, hit ideas off each other, it's 
24 hours before we're starting to prototype, you know? And, and, I, and I think that's yeah, nice. Yeah, are, are these kind of products going into the food at this point, or are these just things you're playing around with in the kitchen? Oh, no, they go into the food immediately, even before we're sort of ready, you know, for that opportunity to happen. But I think that's the beauty of having, you know, Trentina and Noodle Cat and Greenhouse, because depending on the batch, depending on the size, depending on how far we've gotten down the rabbit holes, we like to call it, um, it can go to one of those restaurants and be utilized immediately. Yeah, so those are three really different restaurants. Yeah, we, yeah, they're they're like three totally different children. Yeah, right. But okay, but can you talk about where they overlap, like in terms of I don't know, I guess just the innovation that might be happening behind the scenes, or whether it's like a focus on local things. Yeah, I mean, I think they're all trying to like like read from the same book. You know, they're um, they're interpreting cuisines in in and they're using their backyard to find stuff to interpret that. You know, so whether it's a slurp shop, everything under thirteen dollars, Japanese inspired you know, Ohio sourced or it's Trentina and it's sort of the test kitchen for the whole company or the greenhouse tavern where it's this, uh, all things to everybody, French inspired bistro, you know, but they're, but they're all telling the same, you know, the same story, just three different points of view. Yeah. Can you actually answer the same question, Vince? Like from a pastry approach? Sure. I mean, um, well, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I started at the greenhouse tavern and, uh, the freedom that I was allowed there to kind of, putting my mind's eye onto American cuisine and bistro cuisine and French cuisine, um, I was able to push myself in a, definitely a certain kind of way. But when I went over to Trentina, it's a completely different format <clears throat> with the same freedom. So I just keep pushing my style in different kinds of ways, and we always come up with some really, really funky stuff. And the, the conversations always spread off in really, really interesting ways between all of us. So yeah. it's a lot of fun. It's just... yeah. I, I read that you were one of the people that invented the miracle berry. True or false? I didn't uh, false. I did not. <laughs> I did not invent the berry. No, um, it's a South African berry. It's been around for a couple hundred years. Um, but uh, I did a lot of work with it in Chicago. For uh, can you Chef explain Hummer. what it is for our listeners? It's 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 a fruit, and uh, basically what it does is it affects your uh, the pH balance in your mouth. So um, you have two different kinds of receptors. Sour, sweet, and it tastes, you know, all the, the things in food, and it kind of covers up one of them. So you can squeeze a lemon into your mouth, and it tastes like sugar, lemonade, you know. It just doesn't seem Just right cuts that me. refined sugar out, and it's, it's really cool for diabetics and cancer patients. They can start tasting food again. So that really, really got me interested in it. And so you're working with this at, at Trentina and at Greenhouse Tavern? No, it kind of turned that part off in my brain a little bit for now and got it. focused on some other stuff, like... Young Miso. So I want to know. <laughs> I'm so dirty when he's saying like, Young Miso. <laughs> so I want to know, money. like, you guys being restaurateurs in Cleveland, and I know you, you know, you're obviously in Chicago, you were in New York. Like, do you guys feel that going back to Cleveland was less pressure than as far as like opening a restaurant, or is it actually more pressure because that's your hometown and you had more to prove? I don't know if it was less or more pressure. It just seemed like the right decision to make, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, I just kind of wanted the the kids and you know catcher Louisiana you know Amelia um, to have like the same opportunity of an upbringing that I did and you know uh, that was the original reason. I think now when we look back on it, it's really more exciting than it was when it was happening. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Because mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it feels like you're able to go to Cleveland and and kind of do the things that you would probably do in New York City. But, you know, obviously with a family, with a more comfortable lifestyle, do you, is it, an, is it, was it easier to open a business there? 
Uh, no, I think the first part of the point was the one I really agreed with. You know, like having the opportunity to tell your story on a, on a mm-hmm. bigger scale is so much more realistic now, no matter where you live. You know, whether it's Alaska or, or Skokie or Cleveland or Brooklyn, you know, mm-hmm. I think you have the opportunity and, and the inches you need all around you to tell your story. So you don't necessarily have to uh, stay in Brooklyn or move out of Brooklyn, you know, into Queens or Bronx. Not that I have a problem with any of those places, but mm-hmm. you can still achieve that same that same conversation. No, I totally agree. I mean, I I grew up in Phoenix and I always think I could open the best wine bar in Phoenix and but I just don't want to go back, but it's amazing that you went back because then you get to bring all of these ideas and and thoughts to Cleveland. I think that that story is the one that we love to hear too. Like mm-hmm. uh, it's not just us. There's there's tons of people like Vince's story is the exact same, you know, living in Charleston and and his wife being from Madison and she's a pastry chef too, but they moved to Cleveland to sort of be the place where they want to have their version of a family, you know, whatever that is to them. Mm-hmm. And I think those stories are the ones you hear across the board in Cleveland now. It's not necessarily just culinary. It's not just pickles. It's not all that stuff. It's just all around. Yeah. So, I want to know. I mean, I don't know anything about local cuisine in in that area, Rust Belt area. What what are you guys working with that we don't get to, to see on the East Coast? I don't know if it's a matter of exclusivity or if it's the opportunity to have it at a better price. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, living here and, and moving home and, and now seeing where we've where we've grown, it's those, you know, those stinging nettles, those, you know, spice bush berries, those Saskatoon berries. They're more affordable than they would ever be in, in a region like this that's so educated and so interested already in that product. So I think when we moved back, we were getting deals and value for for farmers and foragers and in our own hands that uh, that allows us to present it to customers at way less of a price. Not yeah. just cost of living wise, but just availability. Yeah, I mean, one thing that really struck me when I ate at Greenhouse Tavern, and I think I probably ate every single thing on the menu. I wasn't <laughs> alone, but <laughs> I, I definitely uh-huh. did partake. <laughs> um, is that, you know, it's it's like a super casual place. It There's, you know, rock and roll. There's like bikes hanging on the ceiling. And it's just... It doesn't. There's no pretense whatsoever, and it's it's just really, really welcoming and really comforting. And there's an amazing array of food that comes out, and it's not, you know, I hate to use the word pretentious again, but it's like it's simple food. It's just really, really, really well prepared, and it just kind of opens your mind to like, oh, I never thought about eating a smelt, and like I never thought that it would be that good. You know, it's just, it's not unusual ingredients so much. It's just. It's just like the the time and the presentation and the care. It's like you're really just showcasing the best of what's around you. And sometimes I think food here gets sort of like lost in the in the competition or just trying to make it like so elevated that you sort of lose, you know, the the, the actual ingredient. Maybe. Jeff? <laughs> uh- <laughs> To speak to the beginning of that, you know, I think one of my favorite compliments that Amelia and I ever received about the tavern was two years in, a friend of ours came in and dined and and said that it felt like we had been there for 10 years, you know, and I think that was the most endearing thing to think about a a building and its bones and where you cook your food every day to feel like it's already been there for a decade, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that also speaks to the cuisine. It doesn't have to necessarily go above your head. It just just has to be your level of interest. If you want to talk more about sourcing or you know any of those conversations that we're having right now on the radio you can ask as a customer but you don't have to have the experience you can just sit down and just get the best damn grass-fed ohio lamb burger you've ever had Mm -hmm. and you've been cooking there for a while now i mean how have you seen the landscape change around you obviously 
you've, you're part of that change. You've attributed to that. But what have you noticed, you know, since you've been cooking? I mean, it's the high rent district now in Cleveland. You know, I think housing wise, when we're talking about when we opened the Greenhouse Tavern, we had six, seven line cooks, two sous chefs living on the street. Now, none of them are within five miles. You know, it's uh, it's really exciting to see downtown and the epicenter of of all of that part of Ohio be the high rent district. And I think that's a compliment to everybody in the neighborhood. What about just diversity in cuisine and other restaurants that have come since Greenhouse Tavern? Um, I think that we're seeing a lot more young chefs open restaurants in Cleveland, you know, with like Black Pig and Noack and what those guys are doing over there. I think it's really exciting to see the next generation of guys opening their own places and not with partnerships, but as chef owners. You know, I think that's really endearing. Yeah. I mean, you've talked about, you know, Michael Simon being your mentor and other people. And now it's like all these young chefs are looking to you, I'm sure. I don't know if I like to think about it like that, but I think it's because uh, you're still a young chef. Yeah, well, I, I just look like I'm 55. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, Jesse already figured yeah. out that you and I are the same age, so there's that. So young, obviously. So yeah. Yeah. So this <laughs> under 30 year old next to us, you know. Oh, come on. <laughs> so I want to know. You know, Greenhouse Tavern is the first spot that you opened. Um, was that the concept that you always wanted to have, or do you feel like now you've been you opened the right restaurant and now you're opening the concepts that you wanted to to originally do i don't i don't know how that like kind of thought process evolves yeah i mean um i I think that they're all living breathing things you know Mm -hmm. i think you go into it and you you know talk to your partner you know i talk to amelia every night and we think about what we wanted the greenhouse tavern to be for years and years and years and then we opened it and day two we make a little adjustment to that conversation and day three it's different and day you know year two it's different so Mm -hmm. I, i think that um you know, Trentina was something that we needed as a company, you know, to have a little kitchen that, you know, we can just throw ideas at that's a little bit separate from everything else and doesn't affect day-to-day operations as much. And then when we have the miso in a place where we can start utilizing it or when we have the vinegar, you know, so effervescent and so acidic that you, you know, want to use it in every application in the restaurant, then you can put it, put it, put it in there, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you ever uh, sleep? Yeah. Oh, I think I sleep a lot. No. <laughs> I just got a no from from Amelia. Five hours, six hours, maybe. (laughs) So you're here in New York because of Noodle Kids. Yes. Which is your new cookbook. It is. That's very exciting. It's our new cookbook, yeah. Yeah, congratulations. So tell us what that is. So we we just sort of really value the opportunity to be around the kitchen table now that we have, you know, as big of a home family as we do. You know, two chickens, two dogs, two guinea pigs, two kids. (laughs) And Amelia so the guinea running pigs, the whole thing. The kids decide on the guinea pigs. Uh, I did that when I was a kid. I feel really bad for my yeah. parents. I kind of like the guinea pigs now. <laughs> okay. I got to be honest. Yeah. All right. All right. They could be yeah. quee one day. So yes. you could eat them. Yeah, we could. They're pretty fat. They would <laughs> sorry, probably be delicious. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go on. Go on. So, no. So as we find these opportunities to, to talk around the table, it's often correlated with cooking. And I think that a family as busy as we are having an opportunity to cook together, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve times a week, there's got to be an opportunity for everybody to do that. So whatever your version of family is, we'd like to show you how we cook noodles together. And so it's all home recipes. There's no, you know, dashis from Noodle Cat or misos from Trentina's Test Kitchen or any of that stuff in there. It's just what we would cook at home with our kids. And I think it's the kind of recipes that help you build confidence to take on the next level of recipes. Yeah, and this book talks a lot... um about how you and Amelia have been so successful getting your children to just be like really, really great eaters. 
And I, I mean, I'd love to let you speak to kind of your approach to that. Yeah, I mean, I think Amelia and I have always felt like it's not about trickery. You know, it's not about getting them to eat carrots and the cookies every other week or, you know, cauliflower hidden inside of some milk substance. You know, I think it was about getting them to be engaged in the garden or in the kitchen or at the grocery store. And when they're touching the food with their own hands and they're cooking it with you at the at the stovetop, it's, it makes them more prone or apt to eat it. Yeah. I love your story about Louisiana discovering she loves clams. Yeah. She tried to order them a couple minutes ago. I know. Yeah. And you guys like weren't sure, and you're like, oh, this could be a fluke, so let's give it to her again. And you're like, yeah, this kid loves clams. I mean, yeah. I just don't think there's many parents out there who would even think to give their children clams at such a young age. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I feel like I had clams at a young age, but I, but I think that kids just no, develop American their kids. opinions where they're just like, I don't eat that. Well, I think American parents take it for granted that their kids are all are going to reject it before they give them the chance to even taste it. I mean, the fact that we have kids menus in the United States and they don't have them in other countries, it, it says a lot. Amelia. Uh, yeah. So Amelia. So so <laughs> Amelia's partner, partner, Amelia. partner in life, partner in business with, oh, with Jonathan. Hey. Hello. Hello. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had enough cider for this. <laughs> Uh, you know, the thing with the food and with Lou and Catcher and, and, and having kids is my grandma, like she was super Italian and she just put food in front of us. And if we didn't eat it, we didn't eat. And that was kind of our mentality. I mean, we weren't like evil or anything with it, (laughs) but we were like, listen, this is all you have. And we're still like that. And, and, and part of it too, is we have a rule that no matter what, you have to taste it. If you don't like it, you don't have to eat it, but you have to taste it. And that way, you know, like today we went to Colicchio and Sons for lunch and Ketcher got pork belly and grits and prawns. And he was a little wary of the pork belly, but he tasted it and he ate the whole thing and it was fine, you know? So it's just kind of all about experimentation and 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 trying out food and not making a big deal about it, right. you know? Like, I don't know. Yeah, the last thing you can do is tell them to eat something, you oh, know, or tell them to do anything. Yeah. Forget if about it. If you tell a kid yeah. to do anything, if you tell like, them to eat no, broccoli, it's... you remember being a teenager. Your your parents said anything. You were like, I mean, it's not like not it was that chance. long ago. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> it was like five years ago for me. <laughs> Just like yesterday. Yeah, like Vince under thirty. <laughs> Vince actually yeah. under thirty. Yeah. yeah. Do, we, do we have any of the Sawyer kids in tow? <laughs> Sorry, send just ask in. the kids. Yeah, in. send them. Send them in. They don't want to come. <laughs> no, no, All right, no, that's no, fine. No. That's yeah. fine. Totally fine. Well, I, I do want to like to direct this conversation to Vince now. I want to, I want to know like you know you got involved with um with the Sawyer team, and I want to know you know from you know Greenhouse Tavern. Now you're doing Trentina. As far as pastry goes, what's your what's your approach? What are you doing? And I imagine you're doing different things at both places. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, like com- the two restaurants have a completely different style and a completely different feel. And the, the people around them, um, you know, are completely different. So I feed off the energies of, you know, where I'm at, and it kind of reflects in the menu. But uh, I'm also, you know, trying to break through and, uh, you know, showcase more of who I am, you know, and my style. And, and coming, what, is, what is that? Coming away from that Miracle Berry kind of molecular yeah. okay. shadow that I was in and um, just kind of getting back to the classics, um, using a lot of more savory notes. In my desserts. Um, so you're sort of moving away from that kind of scientific approach? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I still use it a lot. Yeah, I mean, it seems from someone who just stalks you guys on Instagram, 
whatever. Um, it seems like you're being really creative in the kitchen in that way and applying a lot more sort of like technological innovation, but that I could be totally wrong about that. No, I think it's a little more more ingredient. Yeah, and, and old-fashioned, you know, uh, uh, fermentation, you know. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that there's anything wrong with anything we're talking about, but it's not as molecular as it is, you know, biological. You know, meaning these living, breathing sort of, you know, things. Yeah, yeah. and Jeremy, the, our, our forager and guru, is, uh, is really, really fun to work with. Uh, I mean, it's really getting opening up that a whole new door for me kind of with uh preserved foods and fermented foods and just different flavors that i've never even considered using in a dessert so. yeah how are you incorporating from fermentation into dessert um i mean it's kind of trial and error kind of thing mm-hmm. i use a i was playing around with some fermented corn that we had uh with a pre-dessert um just you know just tasting and figuring it out as we go along i think it's really fun yeah. chocolate sour cream that was that was a. <laughs> The oh, living, rad. breathing Cocoa thing, sun. yeah. Are the vinegars involved in any way? Yeah, I've used I've used a lot of the. It, when I first got started, the the vinegar was a was a big focus, and I used it quite a bit, um, and I still use it a lot at the tavern. I love how pro fermentation all the restaurants are. Yeah, we, like our goal is for everything to be alive as we're eating it, right? You know. Oh yeah. Like the whey probiotic uh, dolce de oh, leche we great. put down the other day. You so know. Good. That's a classic. I mean, that's an amazing dessert thing that we're sort of speeding up, you know? Yeah. If you ever had, like, really old-age dolce de leche from your fridge, it gets this, like, tangy yogurt thing. So we just sort of pitched it ourselves back in the laboratory. We based it on whey and then pitched whey in at the end and caramelized the whole thing. And it's already got this, you know, sour cream, like, foot kind of thing going, but with uh, caramel in front. That's crazy. What other kind of like, I know you've been playing around with these sort of like umami flavors coming from the natural fermentation that's happening with the the tofu and sorry, what's the other the, ingredient? The koji? Yeah, the koji. koji yeah. yeah. That's like talk- ultimate umami. Yeah, I want to hear about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the things that we're doing with koji most recently is we're doing this quick cure on scallops and uh, Jeremy and Sawyer and, and uh, all of us over at Trentina were sitting on a scallop for a day or two too long and someone had the idea to just pitch it with koji so coat the whole thing with a little bit of food for the koji culture that we made in house and then set it in our uh, um, uh, dehumidifier for one day at 90 degrees and the koji came so alive and the scallop tightened up and had an amazing cure on it from that and we just ate it after that and that was uh that was essentially everyone's turning point on the koji culturing you know raw flesh for immediate consumption Whoa. Do you feel like experimentation? I mean, I don't, I don't really want to call that experimentation because they've been doing that in Japan for for ever. Yeah. But um, do you feel like Japanese style techniques are kind of what's happening right now in in food? Because I, I mean, I'm working at Samia in Brooklyn, and we're talking about putting, you know, marinating koji and beets and doing these things. So I want to know, like, and I, you know, I've heard it at Blanca and on all these things. Is this like? the new thing that's happening in the US at the moment. Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty exciting. I mean, I think everyone's looking for, you know, ways to put a personal fingerprint on their cuisine, you know. And I think that koji for a lot of us is is not something we grew up with. Mm-hmm. So it's very exciting now as we have the opportunity to play with it, you know, to see what it does. You know, I think it's maybe even the opposite if you're talking about other countries looking at the cuisine that we're doing here, you know, almost like uh, the beer industry and how Europe is now looking at all these microbrews in America to sort of mm-hmm. figure out a new way to tell their story. We're doing the exact same thing. 
No, I, I totally agree with you. And I want to know if your, you know, your thoughts about fermentation and keeping things alive, does that go follow through to your, to your wine lists in your, in your restaurants? Yeah, I think with the arcane laws of Ohio, we do the best that we can. No, you know, we I don't totally have the pet nets that. that you guys yeah. have here. And, you know, we use uh, forage tonics based only on roots that we find. And cool. we used to have a good kombucha program, uh, but there's some phenomenal producers now in Ohio. So it's one of those things that turned out to be easier to purchase than to, you know, make in-house. Sure. No, I mean, I can only imagine. I know many states, it's hard to get what we can get here in New right. York City. So. Yeah, we you guys do okay though. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, anything on the horizon? I mean, you've got all these restaurants up and up and buzzing at this point. Are you just kind of settled for a moment, or looking ahead? Yes, we're settled, we're settled for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm forcing settlement. <laughs> I'm forcing settlement. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, you've got James Beard's coming up. Yeah, those are coming up, aren't they? Apparently. <laughs> you probably know better than How I do. That? Yeah, what's the nomination? Um, Best Chef Great Lakes. Best Chef Great Lakes. Yeah. yeah. With a great list of guys and girls from the Great Lakes. Yeah. Well, Being friends. hosted in the Great Lakes I know, region I know. this year. Chicago, yeah. That's exciting. Well, we'll have our fingers crossed for you. For Are sure. you returning home to Chicago for the awards? I will not be there for the awards that I know of. But my restaurant is nominated, is semi finalist for uh, for best new restaurant in in I think in America actually. Yeah. So pretty yeah. excited about that. That's a great um, list. Let's take a break here, and uh, we'll come back with the morning after quiz. Uh oh. <laughs> yes. Beware. Uh-oh. <laughs> Daisy Martinez, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And we're back here on the morning after we've been talking with Jonathan Sawyer and Vince Griffith of Team Sawyer, um, several restaurants in Cleveland, Woo-hoo! not to mention Hola. Greenhouse Tavern. Uh, Cleveland. Cleveland, exactly, exactly. Trentina as well. Um, so guys, the time has come for the morning after quiz. Um, Vince, I would like you to 
be a teammate and assist Jonathan on this. I will say that it is directed as at his last name. So um, you're going to have to get into his mind, okay? Oh, boy. Oh, okay. shit. This won't be the All first right. time. <laughs> All right. So, Jonathan, Sawyer is your, your name, and Sawyer specifically is your last name. But what do you know about Mark Twain's famous character, Tom Sawyer? Here comes the morning after quiz. And I'm afraid you might know. I know what uh, Mark Twain is a unit of measure. It's one of my favorite <laughs> nautical units of measure. Oh, yeah. we're going to be great. And uh, no pressure, but no one's ever gotten everything right on this quiz. <laughs> of three. Of three. Three questions, all multiple choice. All right. So question one. Tom Sawyer is the title character of the Mark Twain novel, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Duh. But he also appears in several other works by Twain. Which of these is not one of them? Is it A, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn? Is it B, Schoolhouse Hill? Or is it C, Hellfire Hotchkiss? Not. I'm going to confer with uh, Vince in. privately. Please, over here. please confer privately. B. You say B, Schoolhouse Hill. He is not in. No, it's actually C, Hellfire oh, Hotchkiss. And you know what? Vince actually totally shit. said C. <laughs> Vince. Just, I just shut up. This got inside you. your brain, man. Yeah, I know. You went with wife. I mean, right, we got to do a that Vulcan was the right, mind That was the right <laughs> choice. Someone's now. fired. <laughs> that was the right choice, though, chef. Right choice. I'm going to send him a bitmoji of angry face swear. <laughs> okay, well, I'm one for one. <laughs> well done, Vince. All right. So, <laughs> question two. No. All right, like, guys. I am an island. <laughs> yes, he is an island. Question two. Mark Twain got the name Tom Sawyer from a jolly and flamboyant acquaintance he met in San Francisco. What was that acquaintance's occupation? Was it A, fireman? Was it B, teacher? Or was it C, bartender? I want it to be fireman. <laughs> I don't know. Bartender. You're going to say bartender? It's actually yes. a fireman. <laughs> oh, I'm on fire. Listen to this man. <laughs> Over two. How am okay. I doing this? You've got into his mind and You're he doesn't Mark know Twain's any better. Mind. <laughs> You're in Mark Twain's <laughs> mind. You got in the wrong mind. <laughs> All right, Vince. All I'm right. afraid of you now. All right, question three, the final question. According, he's, he's got a miracle berry inside his <laughs> yeah. mind. I think he does. He's going to be the first person in 144 episodes to go three for three yeah. over here. Yeah, we'll I'm see. I'm going to do it. All right, all right, fine. We'll <laughs> final question. According to Twain, what is Tom Sawyer's favorite part of the Bible? I cannot believe he went this uh, far with I'll character be. development, by the way. Wow. I'm amazed that Twain went this far. All right, is it A, sibling rivalry? Is it B, the fights, or is it C, the sex scenes in the Bible? I'm going to go with Cain and Abel. You're going to go with sibling rivalry. Mm. All right. I'm going to go with uh, C. You're going to go with C, the sex. All right. <laughs> why not? <laughs> I actually want to know what Amelia thinks. I was going to go with, what, what are they? Fights? Brothers? Sibling rivalry, fights, and sex scenes. <laughs> this is what Tom Sawyer likes yeah. in the Bible? Yeah. I don't know if Tom Sawyer's in the Bible. <laughs> I'm just going to go with B. So You're just going to go with B the for the hell of it. Since I've been wrong the whole time. All right. So everybody got all the other ones. All right. 
It was actually B. Yeah, the fights. All well right. done, Amelia. Finally. I can't give it to everybody, though. I can't. I mean, at least everybody got one right at one point. And I, and I want to point except out. For except Jonathan. for Jonathan. Except for me. <laughs> I want to point except out for the in the book, Sawyer. he didn't call them the fights. He no, called them lickens. The lickens. Yeah, the lickens. he liked the lickens. <laughs> but that would have been a little bit too much of a giveaway if we had... Uh, I think it would have been confusing. (laughs) Yeah, because it doesn't make any sense today. (laughs) Although I'm going to start using it from now on. Yeah, I'm going to give you a good licking later. (laughs) Oh, they're going to get a good licking. Somebody get my switch. Oh, the noodle kids. Um, So guys, let us know where we can find all of the restaurants. Is there one website to go to? Are there several websites to go to? Or we just have to go to Cleveland. Or we just have to go to Cleveland. I mean, number one, Cleveland. Number one. Number two, you just go to teamsawyer.org and you can check out any of the restaurants or follow us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. I Bitmoji, highly recommend Team Sawyer's Instagram. And are you still doing Vine? You were like the I king do. of I'm, Vine. I do. I'm holding on. I'm, I'm, wait, I'm holding to. You got to so much better than everyone back. else. It just stopped being fair. <laughs> everyone else just quit Vine because they couldn't compete. <laughs> I feel like that whenever I watch the stop, you know, stop motion videos on that. Yeah, you got like you to definitely another level. <laughs> um, Guys, thanks for coming out to Brooklyn, hanging out with us on the morning after. Thanks for having us, Jonathan Pleasure. Sawyer, Vince Griffith, Amelia, Amelia Sawyer, Sawyer, Louisiana Sawyer, Catcher Sawyer, Sawyer, the Noodle Kids, Sari Kamen, Jeff, 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 <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. I had you. This is the morning after on Heritage Radio Network Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.